0: Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us.
1: We kicked off a brand new series, Secret... Or the search for happiness last week. And this series is an extended look at part of the letter to the Philippian church. Okay, just a, by way of review, just real briefly, uh, the, the letter to the Philippians, it was written by the Apostle Paul. And, and there's really two big purposes one is to instruct. And encourage, okay, that, to instruct and encourage uh, his friends. He knew these people well, and he wanted to encourage them um, because they're living. He wants them to, to understand how to live as God's citizens, as, as citizens of God's kingdom in the midst of great difficulty. And he wanted to encourage them um, because he himself was living uh, as a citizen of God's kingdom in the midst of Much difficulty. He writes the letter from prison, and so he wants to encourage and instruct them, and and he also wants to. He writes this letter as a thank you note. It's a thank you note. It's meant to thank them for their help in providing for him uh, in his work as a missionary, as one who is taking this good news about who Jesus is and what it means to live uh, for him to new places. And so the series that we're looking at, it's a consideration of what makes for true and lasting happiness. Really we're just asking these questions. What do we look for? If we're searching for happiness, what do we look for? And then what should we expect if we if we actually find it? So I said last week that happiness tends to be or it needs to be understood in terms of economic and educational terms, okay? Economic and educational and, and just make that more clear. God I said last week God gives us the riches of happiness. This, this, is, this is something we receive through Christ. We receive the riches of eternal happiness through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So he gives that to us. Um, that's kind of the economic idea, right? That there's this, this supply that he is, has given to us. But then there's an educational idea. He trains us to spend this storehouse of happiness as we go through our own experiences. Okay? So as we deal with the trials and triumphs of life, he means for us to take this storehouse of happiness and learn to spend it in addressing the different things that come our way. And uh, and, and if that's uh, unclear, let me just simply state this, that the, the big idea was that as we practice happiness, we grow happier. Okay? But again, if, I, if you just leave it at that and you miss sort of what I'm saying in terms of who Jesus is and what he's done, that could seem just sort of, well, yeah, we can all do that. We just practice happiness, be a happier person, just buck up and, and do better. And it begins to kind of raise some questions that are, are really important in terms of, again, what is true happiness? And today we're going to dive into this again. I'm reminding you of that. Um, but today we're going to look at how do we do this? How do we, in the, the way that God intends, how do we practice happiness uh, and grow happier? And so we'll, we'll look today at the not so secret secret to putting happiness into practice, because okay? it's not really that secretive. You're looking at it there on your listening guide. You're seeing a lot of what I'm already going to say. But before we get into that, I want to tell you a story many of you know this, right before my senior year of high school, um, my dad was a Marine. He got transferred. The Marines transferred him, and so we moved from Memphis, Tennessee to Kailua, Hawaii, which is on the island of Oahu, okay, other side of the island from uh, Waikiki and and Honolulu, that area that maybe some know of. Um, So we moved to Hawaii right before my senior year, and at that point, I'd been a Christ follower for about a year, maybe a little less than a year, really beginning to learn who Jesus was and what it meant to, to really walk with him. And uh, I was still finding my way. I was learning to read the Bible and uh, struggling to really know how to live it out. But I was happy to know Jesus. I mean, I really wanted to know Jesus and I was eager to represent him well, usually. Okay, usually that's what I was wanting. Um, a lot of times it was, a, especially that senior year, a lot of other desires, a, other things that I wanted as well. Um, but, you know, senior year, there's there's a lot of rites of passage, and one of those for us was uh, your, your yearbook, right, your picture in the yearbook. So you just take fancy pictures, and you're going to submit those, you can give them to people, you know invitations to graduation, that kind of thing. But, but you have a picture for the yearbook. And then they also ask you, the, the staff asked you for a quote. And so you have your, your senior picture and your quote. And so uh, when that time came, when it was time to give the Kalaheo High School yearbook staff my quote, I saw it as an opportunity for everyone to see my faith in Jesus, right? See that I was committed to Jesus. And so I began to think, well, what should I say? What, what is this going to be about? And the best thing I could come up with for my quote was the verse that I'd learned to write under the brim of my baseball cap. Okay, that's, that's why I'd use this verse. Probably hadn't even read it in the Bible at that point. Um, but I'd learned to write it under the brim of my baseball cap from the teammates whose example had been really prominent in helping me uh, learn to, to know and, and walk with Jesus. And so um, that, this was that quote, okay? And this is the picture, okay? There you go. Now, I know that you were mesmerized by the haircut. And... Uh, and I know that it's going to be hard to turn away and not just focus on that just classy no-collar shirt, okay? Um, yeah, it has no collar. It's just you know, just, just buttoned it right up there, okay? So, um, but I want you to focus on the quote, if you can, okay, if it's possible. I know I'm asking a lot of you this morning. Uh, you see it there, Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And in 1996, I believed that that statement was true. Okay? I, I, I wanted it to be true of me. It it sounded good, it sounded noble. It seemed to be the kind of thing that should fire up a a Christian scholar athlete like I aspired to be. But honestly, at the time of that picture, I really wasn't exactly sure what that verse meant. Um, And that's part of why we're we're talking today about the secret of happiness. Um, Not because the idea is unavailable, but because the that verse, Philippians 4.13, really is, is a key to understanding happiness, um, but it's a verse that's often shrouded in some confusion. Uh, it's often hidden by being claimed but left untried. And furthermore, that, uh, that idea that we're looking at, it's, it's a bit of a secret because today, as in Paul's day, the ideas that are bound up in there, they really fly in the face of the way we normally think about Pursuing happiness. It really is something pretty countercultural that's being described here. So I want to clear up the confusion. I want to help us understand the secret. But, but first, I want to zoom out and, and kind of see the big picture of where that verse comes from and, and what's going on there. Okay, so just not the, we're not going to read the entire letter to the Philippians today, but just Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I want you to see, this is again the conclusion to this letter, and I just want to hear you to hear a little bit about what Paul is talking about when he writes, and kind of wants to wrap up what he's been telling them. So verse 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. Now I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, so, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, we'll stop there. Um, so, so just to be clear, Paul did not write this from a baseball dugout, okay? That, that's not where he was, what he had in mind when he was writing. We'll, we'll see a little bit more about that. But th- there's basically two big things that I want us to see here. In future weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about his interaction with the Philippians and why he, he seems to almost contradict himself, right? I'm, I'm really grateful you helped me, but, but I really didn't really need your help. And, and so we'll, we'll try to answer that question in future weeks. Uh, and look into that. But, but there's two big things going on. And the first one you see there is that the secret to happiness is contentment. And the first thing that Paul wants us to understand is the secret to happiness is contentment. He starts with, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. So, so his topic here is joy. It's the major topic of the letter. He's dealing with joy. But then he moves from there to, I have learned to be content. He goes from the topic of joy to the topic of contentment. And the reason are is because these are very closely related. These, these are almost the same thing. And in fact, I want you to hear Eugene Peterson. He, he paraphrases these statements. Okay? His, his translation, the, the message, he says it like this in, in verse 10. He says, I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. And then into verse 11, I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances and now listen to how he explains the next verse, verse 12. He goes on, he says, I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I've found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. So here, Peterson, he talks about being glad rather than rejoicing, and, and, and he, but he uses this idea of the word content. And then in verse 12, he he uses contentment and, and happiness interchangeably or joy interchangeably. And he does it because, again, they're, they're closely related. And I said last week, just a reminder, joy, happiness. I know sometimes there's debate, which words should we use? And I don't think that's so important. I think what's important is we understand the ideas. We don't have to go around policing one another and saying, well, if you're happy, that's fine, but are you joyful? We don't do that, okay? Don't, don't get into that. But, but here it's important to understand the ideas, what he's essentially saying is that the secret sauce of happiness, right, the recipe of happiness is contentment. But then what is contentment? Okay. Give you a definition. Here's just basic definition. It's hard when you go to the, dic- the dictionary and you try to look up contentment because it's going to say, well, the condition of being content. And you're like, well, okay, I need to know what content means. And you kind of get into this circular thing. But just to boil it all down, I already did that work for you. Here's what it is, is to, to have enough. Contentment is this condition of having enough. It's, it's about sufficiency. If, if I'm content, I have enough. I, there's some sufficiency, okay? So, so that's one idea. And then, then I went, you know, well, you've got Bible dictionaries, and, and kind of how do they understand this word in terms of the way the Bible talks about it? And so Easton's Bible Dictionary describes it like this, a, a state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his lot, whatever it may be. Let me say this. These are accurate. Okay, these are accurate descriptions of contentment. But, but the problem I see is that if we stop there, those leave open the door for a really important misunderstanding. And, so to, and really the understanding comes from, uh, will be cleared up by asking what is contentment not? Okay, because I, I think we, we can get an idea and we could even take sufficiency and enough and we can take this idea of a, a state of mind in which my desires are confined or whatever's going on and we could still get the wrong idea about what biblical contentment is all about. Okay, So contentment, what is it not? It's not disinterest. It's important to understand that when we talk about contentment, we are not talking about disinterest. Paul's writing at a time when there's a group, a very prominent group, philosophical group that's had a great impact on the world, but a a group of people known as the cynics. And and among many ways to describe the cynics is this. They emphasized contentment. This was a big deal to the cynics, was to be content. But part of their understanding of contentment was that they would seek out hardship as a way of showing that they were content. They were so interested in contentment that they said, look, we're going to go and pursue really hard, difficult things even bring those things upon ourselves to show that we are not interested in the things that might make us discontent. So their approach was based on a denial of the goodness of the world or any attractiveness to it. That's how they operated, was, was this idea that, look, the world, it's not good, and it, I shouldn't be attracted to anything in the world. But this isn't what Paul's talking about here, and it doesn't reflect how he saw the world. And it doesn't reflect how we as Christ followers, or those who would trust Christ, uh, of any time or place should see it. That's not quite the way we're to operate in the world. In fact, Paul says elsewhere, First Timothy 4.4, 4, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Now, I could, we could talk all about that, there's, there's limits to this as far as how that all goes but but to just outright say look the world has nothing of interest there's nothing that we could look or or see or desire there's no pleasure here in fact the only way to show that i'm content is to want the really worst things is not the biblical view contentment in christ is not about removing any interest in the world it's about seeing this world in its proper perspective in fact, very famously, two authors, G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis, both British, they both famously came to Christ in large part because the pleasure that they experienced in this world, which led them down some you know, not always helpful paths, but, but what they began to understand is that the pleasure that they experienced in this world suggested that there was a greater pleasure possible. And in fact, because there was a greater pleasure possible, that meant that there must be a source of that pleasure. And I give you lots of related quotes. Uh, I had to really like chop it down, okay? But, but I want you to just listen to one quote from Chesterton as he describes a little bit uh, this, this outlook and, and how he came to understand this. He, he says, this world of ours, he came to an understanding that this world of ours has some purpose. And if there is a purpose, there is a person. He says, I felt in my bones first that this world does not explain itself. Meaning must have someone to mean it. And he says a whole lot of things there, but, but again, that, that last line, meaning must have someone to mean it. He says, look, I've experienced goodness here, and there's something behind that. And so as he began to explore that, he came to understand that that someone was Jesus. And so the point here is not that we should pretend that the pleasures of this world are unpleasurable. That doesn't work. But the point is that we should recognize that these pleasures have a source. There are really good things in this world which point to one who is good, who has given us these good things. And so I want you to see how contentment is not disinterest. It goes, it's much more than that. In fact, there's another Bible dictionary that I think really gets at the heart of this. So the New Bible Dictionary describes it like this in talking of contentment. It's not a passive acceptance of the status quo. Okay, notice that. It's not passive. It's not, well, just whatever will be, will be. No, it's the positive assurance that God has supplied one's needs and the consequent release from unnecessary desire. And so what we're getting at here is that contentment is the ability to stop striving for what is unnecessary. Among the pleasures of this world and among the twistedness of the pleasures of this world because of the presence of sin, we end up in a spot where we strive after all kinds of things that may appear to glitter. They may appear to to offer a long-term pleasure, but they just don't add up that way. And, And so again, these pleasures have a source, The pleasures themselves, they don't compare to the pleasure that's offered in Christ. And so we have to recognize these pleasures, they do have a source, and that suggests that the source of the delights might be be more delightful than the pleasures themselves. That's the idea that's going on here. And so that means understanding that there are grades of satisfaction. Again, not all that glitters is gold. It might be glittery, it might be helpful if you're just looking for some glitter, but is it gold? And once you understand how things really compare, right, once you're able to see something in light of other things, what happens then is you have the potential for your values to shift, for your priorities to change, right? to, to see things as they are. If you, you understand how this thing compares to that thing, then you might go, you know what, I thought that was everything, but now I see that there's something more important, and that, that's part of how contentment works. And so we see it in, in really practical ways. Go back into the Proverbs. Proverbs 15:17. We're told this: Better a meal of vegetables, where there is love, than a fattened ox with hatred. Very similarly, Proverbs 17:1: Better a dry crust, with, <laughs> dry crust with peace, than a house full of feasting with strife. Okay. So, again, think about that. Is a feast bad? No. Is a fattened ox bad? No. But where we tend to look at it and go, well, very obviously, if I've got a fattened ox over here and I've got vegetables over here, I want the fattened ox. Well, yeah, but if the fattened ox comes with hatred, I might choose and realize, wait, vegetables and and love? Give me the vegetables. That's hard for me to say. Okay, but, but it's important to see, right? These are, these are different. And, and if you start to see them rightly, your priorities change. And so we're told in the New Testament, Luke 12, 15, one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. You begin to realize maybe there's more to life than just the initial things that glitter but, but really don't last. Okay, so remember, contentment and happiness are not exactly the same thing. And I say that because you can be content, but perhaps not be happy. You can kind of be content, but maybe not exactly happy. But I think it's impossible, and I think Scripture shows it's impossible to be truly happy without being content. You can't really rejoice or be happy in this way if it's a happiness that's dependent on your circumstances. That's what Paul's getting at here. Is if my happiness only goes so far as my circumstances, then it just doesn't carry me very far. So again, contentment's not about being disinterested in the things of this world. It's about recognizing that there's something, someone, greater than the things of this world that should drive us. Okay, so contentment means, it's not disinterest, but it means being motivated by Jesus and his promises. That's the kind of contentment that Paul's talking about, is being motivated by Jesus and his promises, seeing the world in light of him. And so we're told Hebrews 10.23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Our contentment is, is being motivated by knowing, wait, I can count on Jesus. And what Jesus has offered me is, as the one who, created the pleasures that are so often so distracting and so hard to to let go of what what jesus offers me is something that will will endure something that will last so the secret to happiness is contentment but how do you develop that well then one of the key ways we're going to look at this more in the weeks to come but one of the key ways that contentment grows and and then happiness grows is through gratitude it's it's through appreciating the things that we have, appreciating the world that God has made. We as Christians don't have to look around and go, man, well, that, yeah, that's pretty good, but there's a problem with that. Oh, there's a problem. But sometimes that's, that's what we become known as. And there are problems, and there are, it's good to actually critique things, but it's important for us to appreciate all the wonders of what God has made. And as we grow in gratitude, we grow more content. So, so that's part of it. But I think a couple other things just in thinking about contentment. Is one, be quick to confess when your desires are out of whack. The facts are we we just we go after the glitter. We let go of, of what's gold. We we get out of whack in terms of our priorities. And so when you recognize that, when you realize, man, I've been living for all kinds of things that, that don't actually satisfy, then admit that. Admit that to the Lord. And begin to take steps to say, well let me how do I then Elevate this other thing. How do I make it a priority? Well, it's in my decisions. And part of how you come to this place is you read the Bible. I know. I say it, I mean, I'm going to say it every week. But read the Bible. Learn to, And to do that, you learn of Jesus. You learn of what he's promised. And your motivation for him and his, the things that he cares about, that begins to grow. Okay? That's, that's not the only thing, but, but those are a couple key things. Now, with that in mind, those point to the second secret. And that's back where we started, Philippians 4, 12 through 13. Right? Paul says again, I've learned, or in any and all circumstances, or I'm sorry, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. So what he's saying here then is the secret to contentment is dependence. We grow We grow content. I mean, we grow happy by being content. But we grow content by depending on the Lord. So, what is dependence? Again, helpful to start with the negative. Dependence is not an unconditional guarantee. Important to recognize that. It's not an unconditional guarantee. Now, it is about a guarantee. Dependence does rise and fall on understanding what the guarantee is. And the guarantee in this case is Jesus. You can count on him. But how we count on him, it really makes all the difference. This is not an unconditional guarantee. Specifically, I think we tend to see it with, in terms of two conditions. The first one is a condition of power. Okay, so me in 1996 would have seen this verse, again, maybe not all the way this way, but, but I, was, I was using it sort of along the lines of, I will hit a home run. That, that's the, the power condition of Philippians 4.13. I will hit a home run. I can do all things. I can hit a home run when I step up to the plate. This is often the way uh, we tend to think of this verse when we, we see this guy, Tim Tebow. right? Philippians 4.13 on the eye black, famous Sports Illustrated cover. And here's what's crazy about Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is he gets mocked, right? The joke here is, yeah, you can do all things except be an NFL quarterback, right? That's, the, that's sort of the mocking joke that we make about Tim Tebow. But, but, but here's the thing, first of all. I mean, it's just ridiculous that he would be mocked because he was an NFL quarterback, and there's like one, less than 1% of people on the planet who can say they ever were that. Um, furthermore, he won a playoff game, okay? Um, and, and here's the other thing is that Tebow knows and knew at the time. He knew that's not the point, that wasn't his point. His point wasn't this power condition. Well, if I trust Jesus, then I know I'm going to score a touchdown every time. That was not the point. But sometimes we can get that twisted. That's not what it is. The other condition that sometimes shows up with this verse is, is this idea of permission. So, me in 1996, where I, I could have been confused and thought, and really operate a little bit like, well, you know, I can do whatever I choose and Jesus will bless. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In other words, this kind of cheap grace idea, I, can, I depend on Jesus to punch my ticket to heaven so I can live it up however I want. I mean, I, I can do whatever I want because Jesus gives me strength. He's going to take care of me. I'll just go off and, and do whatever I decide, and no big deal. I have this unconditional guarantee that that I can just go do whatever I need to do. And here's the thing. Jesus is merciful and he's kind. If you're here and you're, you're thinking about that and you're going, yeah, man, I, I just blew it. I know, I blow, and I'm blowing it. Jesus isn't going to just forgive me. No, he, he does. He's gracious. He does forgive. He's faithful. And his, the depths of his mercy know no bounds. But if I treat him as if because of that, I'm going to go then and intentionally just exploit that goodness and mercy, then I've missed the boat on who he is. And that's not what he's getting at here. This is not permission to just go do whatever I want to do. This is Jesus. Philippians 4.13 is an understanding that, that Jesus has good things for us as we walk with him. So dependence does not mean that Jesus gives us unconditional power and permission. It's a guarantee that's far better. See, dependence means being motored by Jesus and his power. It means being motored by Jesus and his power. I said during Paul's day, there was a group known as the, the Cynics. There's another group led by a guy named Seneca, a famous philosopher. And the, the group that came out of Seneca's thinking was the Stoics. And the Stoics believed in radical self-sufficiency. And so today, we borrow immensely from the Stoics. In fact, right, there's living in America, the American dream is is a in large part, I mean it it has other influences. it's very much it has these stoic influences, stoic idea that that we then see in statements like, Well just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. We we see it in the fact that our our libraries and our bookstores are filled with all these self help things that are just you go deal deal with you. You've got to make it happen. You go follow your heart, your dreams, and you do everything. And so there's this radical self-sufficiency that shows up in our living. But that radical self-sufficiency is insufficient. Quote again, I've said it before, quoting my friend Harold Bullock, who says, The American dream isn't bad, it's just not enough aren't bad things. There's there's Christian influences in the American dream. There are good things about the American dream, but in and of itself, it's just not enough. So Paul has something, what he's talking about here is something dramatically different. It's similar, and so he's using the language of the Stoics a little bit, but he's talking about something very different. He's talking about radical Christ-sufficiency. Again, I want you to hear Eugene Peterson's explanation of Philippians 4.13. He says, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. And so likewise, Paul says elsewhere, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's this kind of radical Christ-sufficiency that Paul is talking about, and that we are called to live. It's that—that's how this dependency grows. A few months ago, I was—I was decidedly unhappy. I mean, it was just it, it was a season. It, I don't know. I'm starting to see patterns, but you know, coming out of Christmas time, um, early in the year, and, and I was—I wasn't doing real well. And uh, a friend I was in a with a group of friends and. One of them, who I didn't actually know all that well, he, he, but he, he caught wind that, of what was going on, and just out of the blue, he sent me a sermon to read. It was very kind, and uh, sent me this sermon to read. It was from the great British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, and the title, and it's a very Spurgeon and 1800s kind of title, it was Ziklag, semicolon or David Encouraging Himself in God. Okay, that's the title of the sermon. But I read it, he, he encouraged me, the friend encouraged me, hey, maybe read through this, read it slowly. Gave me some caveats. He's like, make sure you understand. It's not talking about this. And you just wanted to make sure I, I heard it properly. And the Lord was very kind to use it to remind and teach me again what it means to depend on him and help, I think, bringing me out of a season of unhappiness. And there were two things that Spurgeon said that were especially helpful to me. The first one, I mean, there was a number of them, but I boiled it down. The, these two, one, he says, it is good to be insufficient and to find God all-sufficient. That was part of my unhappiness, was fi- feeling insufficient. It's easy to feel insufficient. But his point, right, find God then, and that, and those, that deep spot of feeling insufficient, there you find God all-sufficient. Well, how does that work? He goes on, he makes this statement, which I love. He says, there is a God-reliance which arouses all our self-reliance. He takes all the the self-reliance, the good thing from the Stoics, and it yokes it to the chariot of providence making the man ready for action because God is with him. See, notice, is this, what Spurgeon's getting at is, you know, when you feel insufficient, the, the, the answer is not to just sit down and go, well, God, I don't have anything, so I guess just zap me around and make me do stuff. And he says, no, it, it's good to get to that spot, but, but there you need to find that God is sufficient. And then there what, what happens is that we, we take the, the sufficiency that we do have, the, the reliance on ourselves, the things that God has given us to do, because he, he's equipped us to actually do stuff. He's given us responsibilities. He's given you responsibilities. But to take that ability and to to yoke it to the chariot of providence. See, how do we depend on God? We consider God's great ability, and we take our abilities, and we yoke them. We tie them to God, and we, we get after what he's called us to. And then we trust him to make us ready for action. I get to doing things, but knowing that God is great relying on him and trusting him to make us ready for action. And so, like a chariot motored by a warhorse, our lives are motored by the providence and power of Jesus. That's this kind of dependence that Paul's talking about and that Spurgeon explained. And so, very simply, dependence, how does it work? It shows up in my choices. You see, the power of Jesus, it becomes ours through the presence of the Holy Spirit, who when you trusted Christ, then dwells in us. And that power is then accessed and exercised through God's word and prayer. And then God intends for us to learn dependence on Him by depending on His people, the church, to teach and encourage us in these things. Okay, so God uses, works in our choices. He gives us the Holy Spirit as a gift to lead us and empower us. And he gives us his word and the ability to talk to him and trust him. And he gives us his people. And all these things together are meant to work in growing us in dependence upon him. So what does this look like? Well, it means that a really good idea is that I don't do every single day, but is to start my day in God's word. To remind myself of his promises, knowing that, as I said last week, He won't always take me around difficulty, but he will teach me to trust him and make me happy through the difficulty. And it means recognizing that I am not sufficient in myself for everything that I'm going to face. So I come to his word also for instruction, not just just nice sentiment, not just for inspiration, but for real instruction, to learn his priorities in what I do and how I do it. And it means I stay tied in with other Christ followers who can explain and set the example for me and who can learn from me as well because I have a responsibility to be a help to others. And then as I handle my responsibilities, especially those where my sufficiency is in doubt, it means that I come to him in prayer, asking for his help, asking him to live his life through me and give me power to keep on, knowing that whatever I have, Wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you that you are sufficient. It's easy to go chasing after all kinds of unnecessary things. For some who are here, that chase has kept them far from you remember maybe never having ever trusted you and so for them I pray that you would help them to see that you are enough and that what you promise is not just glitter but it is gold and Lord for us who have trusted you I pray that you would teach us train us to trust you more Help us to be a people who is happy in the Lord, whose happiness flows out of our contentment. Not a denial of of what is good, but a, a recognition of what is good and where it comes from. May our lives be a pursuit of what is truly good, what is truly worth living for. Would you help us, Lord? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day! Welcome to The Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us.